Welcome to Entitled, a podcast about millennials by millennials. I'm your host, Gabe Salazar, and each week I'll be joined by friends to talk about pop culture, current events, and social issues that affect us. Before we continue, make sure you subscribe to Entitled on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, and follow us on Instagram and SoundCloud at Entitled Podcast, and on Twitter at The Entitled Pod. Today, I'm joined by one of my favorite, favorite people in the whole world, Addie, to talk about healthcare and how it affects us. Hi, thanks Hello. for having me. I'm so Thank excited you. to be here. I'm excited that you're here to talk about something that's super important that you're super passionate about. Um, yeah, so healthcare for millennials, what does that look like? So I think healthcare overall is just a huge term and a huge field, and it can encompass so much from actual care to affordability of care, access to care, mental health. Um, so healthcare in itself is just like a really broad, broad, dark hole <laughs> sometimes <laughs> in America, I think it can be a dark hole. Um, and I think for millennials, I guess we're not often thought of as the first population to be interacting with healthcare. Mm-hmm. I mean, people think of millennials who are on the younger side as, well, young people are generally perceived to be healthy. Um, and not having to interact with the healthcare system. So I think there's a misconception that we often are not a target demographic in knowing health literacy um, and being familiar in how to engage and interact with healthcare and all of the multiple components of it. So what are the negative implications of people not thinking of us first or thinking of us as a priority when it comes to healthcare? Well, I think the biggest thing is just education and having important conversations and knowing what you want your health care to look like, um, whether that's when you start working, knowing what kind of insurance plan you want to get, or so there, there's that aspect of it in terms of navigating the insurance aspect and cost and affordability. And it can be really scary and really big, especially if you've never had to do that independently before, Mm -hmm. if you've been on your parents' health insurance, and then you get thrusted out into this big world where you're employed, and then you also have to make decisions about health care. So that's one component of it. And then I think just interacting with healthcare professionals and being your own advocate, I think, is something that's maybe not seen as a priority for younger people and younger generations. Um, And unfortunately, I think most people learn how to navigate it when they're thrust into it, whether that's an acute serious illness or injury or something that turns chronic. And I think that's when you really learn how to navigate all of these multiple components of the system and it shouldn't be like that you shouldn't have to get sick or get hurt to know know how to do that so I think that's definitely overlooked a lot that we don't need healthcare almost right because I just I don't know I from my perspective like I'm still under my parents Mm -hmm. health insurance like I'm you know privileged and lucky enough to be able to be still on there until I'm what I'm 26 so I can't even imagine what it's like for people who don't have like people our age who don't have 
you know, access to that health insurance and having to navigate that in itself. Because sometimes I'm like, I can't even call the receptionist <laughs> myself. You I know. know, I feel you on that. No, it's 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 scary stuff. And I'm I'm in the same boat as you are. I've been so fortunate and privileged enough to have my mom's health care and sh- health care um, through her work. And luckily for me, it is a really, really incredible plan. And we have incredible coverage. But I'm also very well aware of the fact that that's not very common in America. Um, and even even before or even after turning 26, like it's not like you turn 26 and you're suddenly equipped to handle every facet right. of adulthood. Like you're still young at 26. So, but a lot of people make that transition even before 26 because they have to. Right, like people get jobs that provide health insurance and then yeah they or, don't know, or their like parents they, yeah. won't support them yeah. and i think that's a common reality for a lot of people and it's i can't even like i know it's gonna come when i'm like 26 <laughs> or like whenever yeah and i'm just like i'm not prepared i don't right. know anything like well, <laughs> all you, I you, have, you have a few years so i don't mean right to like all i know out. is that like my health insurance card is what i need for a copay like whatever right. but like the nitty-gritty of it i'm just like it, it blows my mind yeah. how much information there is about healthcare that you're under but people just don't know right i mean there's so many terms out there deductibles premiums yes. copays coinsurance and even as someone who has had to personally navigate the healthcare system. And over the last two years, my parents have kind of shifted that responsibility from them handling that stuff more more towards me, not completely towards me, but just so I have a sense of independence in knowing how to do all of this so that by the time I am a full-grown adult, because I don't consider myself <laughs> that right now, um, I have that ability to do so. And it's it's really important to be able to be independent in that aspect. And I think when people think of adulthood, they think of taxes and rent and right. grocery shopping and all of that stuff and managing those aspects of your finance. But being able to navigate this on your own is all uh, in my opinion, as important, so. I feel like, you know how in high schools they have, like, financial literacy classes, yeah. or, like, hopefully they do. Well, some. Yeah, some, <laughs> some do, do, some don't. I was lucky enough to have that in my high school. We were, like, mandated to take it. Right. Did I learn anything? Not really. <laughs> um, but I feel like to have that kind of option, but instead of financial literacy, but, like, health insurance literacy. Well, it's, like, I guess we've just been talking about the health insurance aspect, yeah. but I think the bigger, at least in my opinion, the bigger thing, the bigger picture is just health and wellness and prioritizing that as a right. society and not having to get to the point where you're sick or something happens and then you start to prioritize mm-hmm. health and wellness. It should be... I don't think in the Western culture we focus as much on like preventative medicine and preventative steps to avoid something happening. It's only when something happens we're like, how do we fix this? But I think millennials, at least from what I've seen, I think we are a generation that is more focused on wellness. And some of it is, I think, trendy, like kale and matcha and right (laughs) but i think other things i think people genuinely are beginning to realize the implications of 
like starting to foster and promote your health at Mm -hmm. a young age so I think just overall more material on on that and not just like health education that is dry and boring and scary so yeah no I feel like being in a college environment Mm -hmm. there's so much talk about self-care and like what you can do but and then but when it comes to like practicing it I feel like not a lot of people like pull through in terms of like doing preventative measures and just talking about like how stress affects the body like I feel like in college stress is like kind of like a bragging point like oh I'm so stressed like that's something (laughs) that like people like brag about and it's like that's literally like when I get stressed I literally get like all like sores in my mouth like my body just deteriorates (laughs) like that's not something to like brag Mm -hmm. about like I make sure that I take my own steps and like taking care of my own body and like yeah you're well a that's awesome that (laughs) you do that because you're a hundred percent right I also even when I was in college I saw that all the time like it was almost this cultural value of stress and it was a competitive thing too Mm -hmm. like oh, I'm so stressed tonight. I have to study for two exams. And then someone would be like, oh, you're stressed. You're stressed. I have 12 exams tomorrow (laughs) and I have to go walk my pet dinosaur and then cook a four course meal. Like you're stressed. Like, no, I'm more stressed than you. And I don't understand like why we value stress as a good thing. It can be a good thing, but I think in the college environment, especially what I remember my experiences at TCNJ to be like, it was like, I don't remember people being like, oh, my God, you're going to bed at 11 p.m. and getting eight hours of sleep. That's awesome. That's good for you. I feel like people wanted to talk about how little sleep they were getting. Um, And some of it is valid, but I think there is this cultural thing about being stressed. And and I think it's an American cultural thing, too. Like, we are a high-stress, high-paced, fast-paced society. So I think the two tie together. But that does not mean that your body has to take that hit and that impact. Like, there are ways to manage stress and not let that affect your health. Like, stress is just, I feel like, a domino effect. Like, personally for me, like, from my own experience, like, the past two years, I was not good at, like, taking care of myself. Like, it was only until, like, this year when I was out of front life um, <laughs> that, that I had the opportunity to be to be able to do the things I wanted to do to take care right. of myself. But, like, stress would be, like, stress about something. That meant I lost sleep. When I lost sleep, that meant I had less energy. Less energy meant, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't eating properly or I was in a weird eating schedule. And then it just, like, everything just went downhill. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. And it can be so easy to to get like caught up in that cyclical nature of stress and its impact on your body and mental health like and some people don't catch it in that cycle it just keeps going and going and going and it burns people out it causes mental health impacts so Mm -hmm. good on you (laughs) thank you i try for doing what's best for you yeah and you know i think a big part of it is like getting rid of that or not believing in that stigma that if you're not getting or if you're sleeping only three hours a night then you're not working hard enough like I literally just stopped caring about what people were saying about that I'm just like 
I'm getting eight and a half hours of sleep. I'm sometimes eating re- nine. Yeah, sometimes nine, and I'm feeling good about you know yeah. want to treat myself, and that's fine. You know, that's I used to feel so fun. bad like going to sleep at like ten thirty when everyone else would be like up till one or two, and I'm just like, well, that sucks for you. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna get bags under my eyes. Yeah. Thanks. I think so you had mentioned self-care before and I I think it's also like almost a trendy topic yeah but I think self-care is more like I don't know I think when I think of self-care immediately face masks and like cucumbers over my eyes very luxurious things like those those things come up but sometimes self-care is like the harder stuff and I saw this really good quote which of course I can't remember right now but it's um it's about how self-care isn't just those like easy pampering yourself I mean it can be but a lot of it is like doing things that are harder to do that you know will benefit yourself in the end whether it's making decisions to get more sleep or and sacrifice some social engagement or um call yourself out on a bad habit yeah you have. like that's self-care too so face masks are nice but it's not all just face masks. yeah i yeah <laughs> i was thinking of like a tw- uh, of a tweet that someone said that like it's probably yeah that. self-care is like literally calling yourself out and like fixing your like destructive yeah, like exactly habits yeah of. destructive habits or um yeah just literally calling yourself out and like I saw that earlier this year like in the very beginning of the year and like I've tried to like Mm -hmm. do that myself and like on top of like the the spa like treatments that I can do at home also evaluating the decisions I've made or like evaluating how I interact with other people and like seeing the bad calling yourself out yeah exactly and just gently but you yeah being like hey like what you're doing is not good for your like mental health i'm thinking about things mental health related um because i've had you know past issues the past semester with Mm -hmm. that and just like on top of like being kind to myself you know it's that healing portion that's also self-care that i feel like is not it's often overlooked yeah Yeah. because it's the harder work yeah whether in terms of mental health that's going to therapy or sometimes just addressing like things sometimes we just push bad things to the back of our mind because we don't want to like face them head on and confront them so I I do think those are all really important parts of it yeah I think having that mental physical and then like material kind of self-care is good like retail shopping cannot solve all your problems (laughs) no it can't it'll make some things worse (laughs) like my bank account (laughs) yeah no i mean sometimes it's nice to buy a new pair of shoes but maybe not 20 right (laughs) right that's like a whole nother problem that (laughs) not that i do that i just want to clarify um another thing about like healthcare, like when i was like doing research for this was just or like talking to other people about it it was just like how people of different identities like and how their identities affect the way they interact with healthcare, or like navigating the mm-hmm. healthcare system. Like I'm just thinking, I was reading an article. This is my favorite topic. Yay! Okay, oh, perfect. I was reading an article and like one of the sentences that stuck with me is that like a black trans woman who is low income will not have the same kind of access as um, a middle class as gender white man. Yep. And it's just crazy to think that you know something as important as healthcare is not as easily accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I know that's very like a naive thing to say in the political world that we live in, but like, it no, sucks. it's, 
it's completely true and um I experienced a lot of these things when I first started really having to engage with healthcare. Mm -hmm. Um, I was diagnosed with a chronic illness in 2013, and I remember I was not taken seriously for a while because I was told, you're a young girl. A lot of people just a lot of people who are your age and who are young girls just sometimes have a lot of anxiety and it comes out in physical forms. And I wasn't even given a fair chance at a diagnostic process at different times. And that's, this is me, just one component of my identity is just being a, a woman. But you add that with a whole lot of layers and it, it's, it ends up to being like really inaccessible and, creating a lot of inequities in the system and there's it it varies from from so many aspects of it um in terms of medical school education i think on average medical schools spend five hours out of four years of training on um, lgbtq uh, clinical competency so out of four years of training they only have it's either four or five I think it's five 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 designated hours hours to learning about how to better serve that demographic I don't I personally don't think that's enough Um, absolutely because it shows yeah (laughs) it shows and I like to believe that with younger generations going into medicine I mean I see some of my friends who are going into medical school this year and they're incredible and that gives me hope knowing that these kinds of people are going to be our future doctors but then you also look at the old white male doctors who assume a lot of things based on someone's identity or treat patients differently like it's a systemic issue of, of a lot of things but it, there's so many things. Um, black women are less like. I think black people in general are less likely to receive appropriate pain medication um, in ERs because there's this unconscious bias that black people have higher pain tolerance. Um, oh that's my just God. one thing. Low, low income people, people of low income. That's a that's a whole nother topic by itself, the disparities in care um, between patients who are Medicaid versus private insurance. So there's just so many things, and I think it leads back to basic in- inequalities and racism and sexism and all of those fun things that <laughs> that go into every kind of sector in our country and that includes healthcare and healthcare is not immune to bigotry or biases so there's I think there's a lot of work to be done in serving populations that are marginalized in healthcare as well because it there is so much research that shows that it's not just you know it's bad enough to make someone feel bad and treated poorly in the setting but it also leads to like poorer health outcomes so a lot of improvement yeah i mean i feel like everything needs to be improved in this country yeah, but i i definitely uh. think i mean i am not a dean of a medical school and i also do not have 
a medical degree, so I don't know how valid my opinion is in all of this, but I really think it needs to start at the level of medical school, and I've read articles about medical schools wanting uh, undergrad candidates who are coming from liberal arts and humanities backgrounds, but the curriculums don't seem to be reflecting that across the board, and there's also no standardized like you need a standardized LGBTQ clinical competence competency training. You need uh, standardized training on how to appropriately and compassionately treat um, survivors of sexual violence. Like there's no standardization at a lot of levels for this. So right, and just like speaking about the LGBTQ competency, like. There are so many stories of like trans people like going to doctors that literally will not give them like hormones that they need because they just don't understand it or like deny them. Forget yeah. hormones, or not like, even uh, yeah, not even addressing them by their pronouns. Yeah, that too, and then that like leads them to like going to underground doctors or like getting them, you know, where, where maybe it's not safer or it's not as safe as like proper channels yeah. per se. And, I mean, like, not even. I mean, underground doctors is one thing, but. Um, having to access needles and other sources to receive hormones and that that leads to its own separate issue of of hormones that are not regulated um, and things like that so we gotta (laughs) someone's gotta fix this i don't know not not someone there's there's a i I mean people i think (laughs) That's why we need humanities and liberal arts to intersect with medicine and public health. Like yeah, I feel like it's not always so separate. Yeah, it's not its own separate entity. Medicine is not independent of humanities and... Right, you're literally dealing with people. And learning, like, <laughs> learning just about society and structural problems and structural inequalities. Got yeah. a lot of work to do. <laughs> Um, so I guess moving forward, let's say in like a perfect world, like what, you know, what, what do we have to do to kind of increase access to healthcare for everyone? Oh man, that's a loaded question. (laughs) I mean, I think in, in America, can we keep this? Yeah, let's, yeah. Okay. I think in America, the biggest barrier to care and quality of care is cost. Cost is just, there's so many components to it, and it's, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. Cost prevents people from even going to the doctor because their co-pays are so high or their deductibles are so high. They're afraid to even, or they will, they will hold off on going to a physician or healthcare provider until something gets so bad that ends up leading to more complications, a hospitalization or a surgery, and then that has even more costs for patients. So it's a barrier in seeking care. And then I think it's also... This is such a... (laughs) such a big question... Um, I think it's also a 
trigger and economic and causing economic distress for people. Um, healthcare bills are the biggest reason why people declare bankruptcy. So, oh wow, yeah. So when we criticize people in poverty, a lot of times it's it's because or healthcare is one of the factors that continue to perpetuate the issue. So, anyways, going back to your original question, <laughs> I think affordable health care is the biggest thing because I think when health care is affordable, it opens the doors to preventative care. People will seek preventative care. People won't hold off on care. And, yeah, and in addition to cost, just like we've talked about before, better serving demographics that don't deserve, don't receive the care that they deserve. And that's really, really sad. So I think the two go hand in hand, though. I mean, you can't talk about cost and not think about how that impacts people who are stuck in that cyclical nature of poverty. Right. Like they're not independent of each other. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I answered your question. No, but. you did, because I don't know the answer to that. So whatever you say, I'm just going to. Ideally, I'm just gonna <laughs> I mean, ideally, I would like to say, like, health, I mean, health care for all. I, I personally believe health care is a human right and everyone deserves access to health care. But I don't know if that's going to happen in the near future. But I think one one way to start on that trajectory is just cost and cost reform and it's it works on a federal level but it also works on state legislature and we all have an ability to to work in that and talk to our state legislators and also our congressmen and congresswomen and senators and all those people making decisions for us that impact us i i guess like besides the intersectionality of healthcare, the other big thing would be the fact that people i think sometimes overlook the the intertwined nature of physical health and mental health and the two really impact each other both ways and I think that's something that doesn't get enough content and conversations and research and it's on its way but just wanted to throw that out there (laughs) for anyone out there listening (laughs) please do some research on the connection between physical and mental health thank you (laughs) listen who knows who could be listening yeah (laughs) also I guess if this is my moment for PSAs Never mind. No, do it. We did a PSA last night. Me and Tavs told everyone not to work for neo Nazis. <laughs> okay, PSA. <laughs> reiterate: Do not work for neo Nazis. Um, but just be knowledgeable. Like, don't wait. Don't wait to get sick or something bad to happen to to learn things, to learn about health about your body and also just be informed in that when you go to the doctor ask questions don't be afraid to ask questions it is their job 
and you are paying them and your insurance company is paying them. So be confident. And I think it can be really scary visiting a physician, but advocate for yourself and go in with questions. Yes, do it. I, this is something I've done, started doing recently is I literally bring like a paper, like a mm-hmm. piece of paper, but like if I'm going to the doctor for a specific reason, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have, I'm going to ask about this. I'm going right. to ask about this. I'm going to ask about this because I literally, I always chicken out for some reason. Like, I feel embarrassed to ask like certain questions. Yeah. I mean, it's like a very noted um, dynamic in healthcare. The It's a power dynamic. Yeah. And it can be really intimidating. So you're not alone in that. And as someone who has had to see a, a lot of healthcare providers, it still freaks me out sometimes, mm-hmm. but. I just remind myself that I am paying their salary. Um, yeah, yo, I'm that's not a good actually, thing to keep. <laughs> I don't know if my ten dollar copay is paying their very high salary, but um, it has some. Yeah, my my insurance is, but it's yeah. So yeah, there's just so many times like I've been to the doctor and I'm just like, or I'm like, oh, some I'm like feeling this and I'm like, oh, you're fine, or like here, yeah. take antibiotics when I know I don't need antibiotics. I'm just like. You're killing my immune system or whatever. Stop that. Yeah. Is- also, another PSA. Don't <laughs> don't go to the doctor asking for antibiotics if you have a viral infection. It's not going to do anything and just probably lead to antibiotic resistance. That mm. is an epidemic. Thank you. Now we said it. <laughs> now we really said it. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of PSAs. <laughs> That's what we are. We, you know, we entitled serves the public first. Okay. <laughs> so last question. In the spirit of the podcast, what do you feel entitled to? So I actually listened to your last released episode this morning, and I heard Jared's answer about. Um, not being entitled to anything and I was like crap that's a really good answer right I do I do believe that and I or I try to follow that belief that I am not entitled to anything because I do agree with what he said that every day is a gift you don't know and life can be snatched from under you and that you should be appreciative of everything and not entitled but I also do believe human beings in general I think we're entitled to basic human rights and I don't think it's too much to ask of that so I think myself and other people are entitled to rights of liberty and freedom and sustainability of life and just to be treated as a human human being regardless of where they come from where they were born how much money they make what they look like what their abilities are so i think entitlement to basic human rights with the caveat of what jared said (laughs) (laughs) i want to feel entitled but also be grateful that's exactly (laughs) and they kind of it kind of seems like an oxymoron, but that's okay. That's fine. We we don't make sense yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel entitled to what do I feel entitled to in terms of healthcare? I just feel entitled to like good quality 
treatment in terms of you know dealing with how you know my how my identities deal with like healthcare issues because mm-hmm. I feel like there are different um, issues that come up if you are you know a specific sexual identity or gender or, or race, race or religion or religion literally anything so or I feel ability, like yeah or... so literally yeah, <laughs> yeah ability disability like just I'm yeah entitled to competent care you know and whatever regar- that looks regardless like regardless of any extraneous yeah. factor I feel you I feel that I that's how I feel retweet RT RT um, <laughs> I want to thank you so much Addy for this convo about healthcare which is super important and super Thanks relevant right me. now um, thank you Chris Tenev my Thanks, audio Chris. engineer you're literally the best without you this podcast would be nothing and i would have to stay an extra year at tcnj <laughs> um so yes Thanks, Chris. you're a lifesaver uh thank you to the interactive multimedia department at the college of new jersey for letting me do this um you're the best and yeah see you next week bye oh if you're listening out there and you are in the new jersey area we are the interactive multimedia department is having a showcase on friday april 27th from 5 to 8 p.m and i will be having a live show of the podcast um from six to seven so if you're there come through we're gonna have a party all right bye please go (laughs) please come please (laughs) please bye